Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. I'm so excited to bring you this episode of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. I sit down with Nick Beringer. He is the very first at what he has done. He previously served as an assistant professor at the United States Military Academy at West Point and as a regimental nutritionist, as a member of the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program at the 75th Ranger Regiment. Nick is an Army Ranger and an Army Ranger dietitian. He's an expert on nutrition and performance for the tactical athlete. Nick Beringer currently serves as the program director for the Army Baylor University's master program in nutrition. He has a doctorate degree in kinesiology from Texas A&M. He's received his undergraduate degree in dietetics from the University of Georgia. He previously worked at the United States Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, and he has researched in-depth warfighter nutritional requirements in various environments, including those deployed special operators. Nick has a very unique perspective as a researcher, as a teacher, and as someone who has been deployed in all of it, as well as having been deployed in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He understands both academic and applied demands of the tactical athlete. If you are not a tactical athlete, there is still so much for you to learn from this episode because we are all trying to be the best version of, the, of ourselves. Here is what you can take away from this episode. Number one, what everyone should do for performance, whether you are tactical or not. Number two, the best ways to design your macros, whether you are trying to lose weight, optimize performance, you name it. And number three, what supplements everybody should take. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, comment, share it with a friend. Let's get the word out there. Let's do right. Let's do good science. Here we go. A very special thank you to Element for sponsoring this episode of the show. As you know, Element is a elite hydration pack. So it's spelled L-M-N-T, but it sounds like Element. I typically use one pack a day. I've increased it now to a pack and a half because I've increased my training and nobody told me that Houston was so hot that you literally sweat out of every orifice, probably even including my ears. Element is science-backed, which you know I love. It has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. I've really been into the spicy habanero. I have a very exciting project coming up. I was actually asked to be on the cover of Strong Magazine. That means my training has taken a little bit of an uptick. Element's been very helpful. I get a little bit of that restless leg. It's really important that you replace your sweat, not with water, but with electrolytes. And that is one reason why I absolutely love Element. And right now, Element is offering my listeners, you guys, a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packs of Element free. It's a great way to try all the flavors, share it with someone. You can go to Drink Element. That's D R I N K L M. NT.com slash Dr. Lion. You will get a no questions asked refund. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash Dr. Lion. I know you guys are going to love it because, and there you go. Thank you to House of Macadamias for sponsoring this episode of the show. I love this product, which is why I have agreed to partner with them. Now, I have increased my diet tightness. And especially when you do that, 
you want to eat things that you shouldn't, which is one reason I absolutely love House of Macadamias. They have a chocolate dipped macadamia nut, which is absolutely amazing. They also have a raspberry white chocolate dipped macadamia nuts. If you travel a lot or if you are very busy, you can get these small packs, throw it in your bag. You're probably thinking, geez, chocolate dipped macadamias, there's probably a lot of carbohydrates and sugar. Talking about nine grams per serving of total carbohydrates, almost no sugar, and three grams of fiber. Fiber is also important in the diet. They have more healthy monounsaturated fats than any other popular nut, including olive oil and avocado. They're rich in omega-7s. They are very, very focused on also partnering with small farms. So they've chosen 94 of the best farms in Africa. It is amazing for anybody who is on whatever diet. They have great reviews. If you head on over to their website, go to houseofmacadamias.com slash drlion. Use the code drlion for 20% off your first order. Go to houseofmacadamias.com slash drlion. Use the code drlion for 20% off on your first order. Dr. Nick <laughs> Berenger, you laughed when I said doctor, but you are a, an unusual breed. You have your PhD you are a PhD dietitian, army ranger, <laughs> <laughs> laughing about that. And you have published multiple papers. In fact, I have one right in front of me, and this is the International Society of Sports Nutrition Position Stand on Tactical Athlete Nutrition. Also, uh, program director of, is it nutrition? It's the uh, Army Baylor Master's Program in Nutrition. Uh, and father of three and husband. Father, father of three and, and husband. I, I try to do those as well as others. Uh, you know, some days you have to talk to my wife. Right? <laughs> what don't you do? Just such an impressive, impressive <laughs> resume and human. I have to say, I really was excited that you were open to coming on because you are somebody that everybody should know. <laughs> um, you are extremely well-studied, well-published, and the contribution that you have made to the military is profound. So thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for, you that. for that. I want to talk about, first, let's talk about how you got to where you are, where you came from, as it relates to the very unusual path that you have. Yes. I grew up in North Georgia, and I went to the University of Georgia, which is having a pretty good run <laughs> in football right now. Thought I wanted to be a strength coach, so I started uh, in the weight room there for the Georgia football team and, and learned a lot. There was a guy, Keith Gray, great strength coach, learned a lot from him, but I just had a calling kind of to do something more, um, you know, and different. So I uh, joined ROTC, and then September 11th happened, and the rest is kind of history. I was a nutrition major, so I came into the Army as a dietitian and have been doing that sense. Mm. When uh, September 11th happened, did you feel that you just had to do something? It, it was a weird, I mean, you know, even looking back, it, it was a weird feeling. It, it didn't really know what was going on. I remember exactly where I was, which I think everybody, everybody does, everybody does right? Yeah. I was, I was sitting in the dining facility at the University of Georgia, watching the screens. They, it had just come on the first plane had hit. And while I was watching it, the second plane hit. Um, and I had a test. I did not do well on that test that day. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it was, it was just a different, and I'd already joined ROTC. So we didn't know what was going on. They didn't know, should we take our uniforms off? Should we, you know, all these things and that chaos. Um, but it, it really, 
I think for a lot of Americans galvanize like that sense of purpose of like, okay, you know, there's a reason we have this uniform on and it's, it's time for us to do our job. Right. And what for the listener, what's ROTC? Oh, uh, the reserve officer training Corps. So that's what, if you're in college, if you are a college student and you want to become an officer, most universities have those programs and it's great because for me, it was a scholarship. So I, uh, had my school paid for by committing to the military. So I'd have to go do summer trainings at different locations and we would meet up and we'd have classes that we would, you know, do and physical training that we would do through the week. And every so often a weekend we would spend doing field training exercises. Um, but then when you graduate, you have a job, which is really nice as well. And is ROTC Army? ROTC is, is they have uh, Air Force, they have Navy ROTC, so it depends on on where you're at. So I did Army ROTC. There was an Air Force, and there still might be at the University of Georgia as well. So whatever, you know, kind of branch you, you want to get into, you know, find a school with an ROTC program, mm -hmm. recommend it. Um, ROTC, 9-11 uh, hit, changed mm -hmm. your trajectory of what you wanted to do? Right. So I, again, started off kind of the strength and conditioning route. Then I took a nutrition class, really was just, I, I was all in, right? I'd been interested in nutrition, but it just fascinated me. So I was like, I need to change my major, um, did that. And, and when I found out the army had dietitians, I chose to go that Most route. Most people don't know that. They, I know they don't. It, very small, probably only about 150 of us. Um, in, in the entire army? In the entire army. Hundred And how many people are in the army? I think our end strength right now is maybe around 500,000. 500,000. Thousand people and 150 dietitians. Right, those numbers. Yeah, dead ballpark. Yeah, yeah give I or mean, take. It's it's a well. It, that was what was so interesting when I talked to some of my colleagues in like collegiate or professional sports, and they talk about like the dietitian to athlete ratio. You know, and they want to complain to me about it. I'm like, trust me, because you know you'll have a dietitian. Uh, you know, for an entire. Uh, a brigade, brigade of soldiers. So you're talking several thousand soldiers and one dietitian. One dietitian. So you, when you went uh, from ROTC, how did you end up in the Ranger school? Ran I mean, what is and what's a Ranger for the people that don't know? I mean, I think my audience is is yes. pretty uh, up to date, but that was a a, a weird space, and, and uh, you know, t in terms of how it happened, or, or kind of weird. I was lucky. Um, when I came in as a dietitian, dietitians were always at the hospital. They were never at operational units. So I volunteered to deploy and I was at a combat support hospital. So it's a hospital, you know, downrange. So we're in Iraq, we're outside of Baghdad, um, kind of during the height of the Iraq war. And I was working there and I got a call that uh, from kind of the chief dietitian that the Rangers were looking for a dietitian. They were standing up a human performance program. This is like 2006, 2007. Would I want to try out? And I was like, yes. And I didn't even know what a ranger was at the time. But I remember these individuals showed up at the hospital like in the middle of the night and wanted to talk to me. And like I go to the dining facility, they like talk to me, they leave. I don't know, did I get the job or not? And then they're like, okay, let, let's try out. Um, and, and so for the audience, I'll give it, there's there's ranger school, which is a trade-off school that you can go through and you can become ranger qualified. And then there's the 75th Ranger Regiment, which is a special operations unit, which is the Army's premier raid unit. So if you want to seize an airfield and control space, you, you send those folks. If you want to direct actions, you have bad guys, you you need, uh, for lack of a better word, hunted down, you, you call the 75th. 
Um, so I went through, uh, it, it, as a dietitian, is really unique. I went through airborne school. I went through the ranger assessment and selection uh, program um, and got selected. And then I went on to ranger school. And from ranger school, you what did you do after that? I went back to the 75th because the, the 75th, again, although it's a different entity than ranger school, to be a leader in the 75th, you need to have your ranger tab, right? right. To get respect. And I always, you know, would, would tell some folks because they, they kind of were like, well, why is a dietitian going to ranger school? You know, and so how many, how many dietitians have gone to ranger school and then gone back to the 75th? Currently there's, I'm the only one that's ever served on active duty in the 75th. We just had, um, our, uh, second dietitian get a tab. Can you say that again? We just had our second dietitian no, no, no. get a before that. How, how many oh, in I'm, the history <laughs> of I'm, I'm it. rangers, yeah. ranger dietitians, there is one. This is, you know, and you're very humble by nature. Um, you know, the individuals that come onto this podcast are leaders, innovators, and mavericks in their fields. And, um, you know, you kind of just shrug it off and say you're doing what anyone else would do. But in fact, you are the only one. You are the first. I was, I was the first, they, they, they got me, um, <laughs> but, it, but it was, it was just an unbelievable time standing up that human performance program and working with that level of, we were talking a little bit before the show, like the level of professionals you see in special operations community, the seals are the same, you know, just unbelievable individuals. You, know, you better say that, right? I know, I knew, I knew I better had to say it. Hey, and, and I'll, I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. The Rangers are what we modeled our special operations uh, human performance program after was the SEALs. The SEALs had it first. So got to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> we, we went and looked at what they were doing um, there in Virginia. And, and so, yeah. When you first saw what they were eating in their nutrition, so you'd gone through mm -hmm. school, you'd become a dietitian. And then later, did you circle back to get your PhD? Yes. Okay. So you circled back to get your PhD. Why don't you kind of lay out that story first? Because I do have some questions. We joke, you know, as a military spouse, we joke that the breakfast of champions is a lot of caffeine, nicotine, and a ribbit. Yes. I suppose a ribbit <laughs> and caffeine are the same, but, you know, have your uh, espresso and then, you know your nicotine gum or dip, whatever someone is doing, I am sure that the nutrition was shocking to you and had changed. But before we get to that, why don't you finish telling us kind of this journey of yours? Oh, to, so as I was kind of coming to the end, I'd, I'd been at regiment, I think four years and, and around the, the, the first or second year, I started looking, the army has something called the long-term health education and training program. Unbelievable program you get paid to go to school and get your PhD. So you're an officer, you're still on active duty, but your full-time job is to get your doctorate. Now you have three years where most PhD programs are five years, but it's your full-time job. Um, so I knew I wanted to do that. So I was kind of planning for that. So as I was leaving Ranger Regiment, I applied and I was accepted and I knew which program I wanted to go to. I wanted to study under Dr. Richard Kreider, um, creatine expert. He had been at Baylor. He just went to Texas A&M. And so that was where I did it. And I, no complaints, Texas A&M <laughs> college station. It's, it's a, it's a great location. I got to work in the exercise sport and nutrition lab and, and do research on dietary supplements, things I was interested in fitness. Um, and so I spent three years in A&M, A&M graduated and then was able to teach in the master's program in nutrition for the first time as an instructor. Then I went to the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, where we researched the nutritional needs for warfighters, was there for a few years, 
Um, and then I got to be another first uh, dietitian at uh, West Point teaching in the Department of Physical Education, uh, thanks to Colonel Nicholas Gist, who hired me. So I was able to teach nutrition at West Point, and now I'm back as the program director at the uh, U.S. Army Master's Program in Nutrition. So incredible. So much knowledge that I know that you're going to share with us. When you got uh, to the Ranger Regiment, what did you think about their nutrition? There, I mean, it's tough because finding my, my kind of niche, because before that, if, if, you, if I want to back up, most of the needs of the Army was weight loss was fat loss. It was, it was a lot of my job, a lot of my hours I'd spent, I was stationed at Fort Hood and I spent trying to help soldiers how to lose weight. War fighters? War fighters. War fighters. Right. What War percentage? Fighters. I was thinking, I was just looking at that. What percent are now overweight? Do you, do you know of war fighters? I know it's at least, gosh, I don't want to butcher, but I know it's at least 30%. It, it's, it's a high number. I know. I don't want to throw <laughs> I, it out. I, I, I don't want to throw yeah. it out. I mean, I, I know the military is a reflection of society. Even right. though only 1% of any, right? 1% of individuals actually are part of the military. Yeah. I know it's less yeah. than two. And I know, what is it? 75% of the current folks who are eligible cannot serve. Mm -hmm. So we, we struggle, you know, just as society struggles with, with weight loss and obesity, the military is going to struggle with that and that's going to affect readiness. So that was where a lot of my time was spent. Now I come over to the 75th, they didn't really have issues with uh, weight loss. Some of it was, I, I spent more time trying to keep weight on people just yeah. because of the energy expenditure. Um, so it was a little bit different, but what I kind of tried to sell the individuals on was, you know, performance nutrition focused on, yet you still need to eat your fruits and vegetables, even though you have a six pack um, <laughs> for overall God, health, for longevity, <laughs> right, you know, and that. And so what we did is we worked with the dining facility there uh, at 3rd Ranger Battalion and did some choice architecture where we took the fruits and vegetables and put them up front and then the stuff maybe we didn't want rangers to have and, and put them towards the back. And so yeah. that way they would load up their plate, then they look at it and, you know, if at the end, oh, I, I don't have enough room for that uh, cinnamon roll. <laughs> you know, my plate's already full of fruits and vegetables. Turn away from the light. When you were doing weight loss with the warfighters, how, how did you approach it? You know, people uh, who listen to the podcast are always interested in fat loss, body composition. What was your first approach? And, you know, again, so this is the, uh, say, potentially not the elite warfighter, right. but the, what we would consider more of the general population, recreational athlete, would that be fair to say? Yes. Yes. What, what did you do for them? What was the approach? Well, let me, let me go ahead and, and tell on myself. My <laughs> first approach didn't work. And that was, I just gave them information. I'm just, I have all this knowledge. I'm going to dump it on you. That's a rookie mistake. By rookie the way. mistake. That, that rookie was, that was, mistake. that was Lieutenant Behringer, brand new. I was like, I have all this knowledge out of schoolhouse. And, and I noticed I started seeing the same faces coming back and I'm like, this is not working. I need to figure this out. So how I did that was I would look at that individual soldier and try to find out what resonated with them. For instance, if I had a chief warrant officer coming in to lose weight, I'd Which be is like, what? Um, so warrant officer is usually a specialist uh, in the military. They're either your pilots or, you know, um, maybe work in food service. So, and a lot of them were prior enlisted. So they're going to be a little older. They're, they're going to be kind of, you know, more experienced, more seasoned tactical athlete, <laughs> more if you will, mature. more mature, yeah, if you yeah. will. And so I would talk to him and be like, hey, chief, do you want to play with your grandkids? Well, well certainly. 
well, hey, if, if you go down this road, it's going to affect your ability to play with your grandkids and be present. And so then that would resonate with them. And then we could coach them up. And we start talking nutrition. Whereas the young kids, the specialists, the, the privates, that doesn't resonate with them. They, they're not thinking far ahead. So I remember the first day I kind of clicked with that was when you're flagged for being overweight, you can't get promoted. And are they using BMI? Are they using body fat percentages? Um, body measurements. So tape test. Oh, perfect. So perfect. so they're getting taped. And so the, their, their waist, waist is above, right? Is it a, a waist hip uh, or just waist circumference, you remember? So, so now we're going to just a waist circumference. Back then, it was neck and waist okay. for, for the males. Um, and then for the females, it was uh, neck, waist, and hips at the area where the buttocks protrudes the most. Like that's by <laughs> the, the rack. Um, and so... They can't get promoted. They're flagged. They can't get promoted. So I would calculate how much money they're losing by not getting promoted. Oh, and I would go into them and be like, hey, is this worth $3,000? So you're going to be like, what are you talking about? This is free. I'm like, no, no, no. You're you're basically paying this a month because you're not taking care of your nutrition. Are you ready to take care of your nutrition? And we'll get you that money. And then with them, it would resonate. So again, it was just, it was finding, you know, and, and I'm sure in your practice, you do the same thing. Like what resonates with people? Because nutrition knowledge really usually isn't the culprit, right? If, if I put broccoli and pizza in front of somebody and say, hey, which one you should probably eat most yeah, of the time, yeah, yeah. they're going to know. But, but it's more finding those motivating factors. When you, did you design diets? And if you did, how did you prioritize macronutrients? If you were to lay something out for people, how, how did you do it to get the maximum amount of fat loss while maintaining lean tissue? I say lean tissue because uh, obviously we're not directly measuring skeletal muscle right. uh, at this time. Yes. No. And, and, uh, it's going to be very similar to Dr. Bill Campbell's is I start with protein. I, I like to start with protein for the satiety, the, the same reasons. And the, as far as I want to preserve that lean muscle mass, particularly in war fighters. Um, and then from that we, we build around now I'll still keep the carbohydrates a little higher just because of the tasks that they have to do. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, I would use something as simple as the plate method where I would, you know, uh, you know, cut a plate in a quarter. I'd be like, all right, put your, your, your protein in one corner. Uh, if you're going to do a hard like ruck or run, you know, half your plates, carbohydrates. If it's not a hard ruck or run day, you're just lifting weights a quarter of it and then put a non-starchy vegetable in there Perfect. and just give them, you know, simple tools like that. Because most of these, particularly the young soldiers, they're at a dining facility. So, you know, what's their tray going to look like? And so I would give them, you know, kind of do it that way. And on the back end, did you calculate, for example, if you were to give them a protein recommendation, a grams per, you know, grams per kg, did you do that? Did you think about it? Yes. Uh, So, so anywhere from, you know, uh, basically about, you know, point gram per pound, because I wouldn't do kgs because, you know, they, but, uh, you know, 0.8 to one. And then folks that are, Going to be in a yeah yeah per pound, which is double the RDA. Which I want to circle back in terms of nutrition got its footing from the warfighter, right? And uh, so so going higher going higher protein is you know especially in in those uh, tactical athletes and a caloric deficit shown to preserve lean muscle mass. And uh, Dr. Stefan Pasiakos, Dr. Jessica Gwen at Usarium, they've done great uh, work. Dr. Arnie Ferrando have done great work. They've done particularly studies where they've put um, soldiers in caloric deficits of, you know, up to like 30%, you know, deficit. And they show that when they take in more protein, they're able to preserve more lean muscle mass. And so based on that, that that's why I'm going to do. And then along with the satiety factor. 
And what about carbohydrates in terms of how much do you recommend per pound? Okay. So for, for that, um, it's, it's usually, and I, th- I'm, I don't know if I can do the conversion per pound in my head, but it's, or, it's, or, it's or around, yeah, yeah. Fi- uh, around, uh, I will not ask you, know, you to do five, math in five, your head. Five to six grams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, for most people, you can go up to, you know, I've went up to 10 or 12, but that's in like ultra runners. So it, it varies right. on kind of what they're doing. But for, for most people, you know, probably around that, that six, if you more active eight mm-hmm. um, uh, grams per kilogram of body weight. And of course, the final uh, macronutrient fat, is it mm-hmm. just whatever falls within there? That, that's how power. I would feel yeah. in then, then whatever's left, I'm doing fat, but then, you know, I'm obviously prioritizing monounsaturated fat. Mm-hmm. I want some, you know, olive oil. I want some fatty fish, uh, get the omega threes in there. Um, and then avoiding as much as possible, you know, trans fats, even though I know trans fats are supposed to be banned, they're still out there. You can still find them in the, particularly the meals ready to eat. And especially um, on post. Right. They're everywhere. And, and, and so just educating soldiers on that, um, and then respecting saturated fat as well. Um, but besides that, I mean, that's, you know, pretty much kind of how I build the diet. Simple, straightforward, easy to execute. Yes. I love it. When you uh, think about the history, have you thought much about the history of World War One, World War Two, in terms of nutrition and uh, reflected back on how we came to where we are now? And, you know, I've spent two years writing this book. And one of the things that was so profound was that the protein recommendations that they gave and just understanding that the warfighter, that really a lot of the nutrition that we see today was based on making sure that the warfighter could survive and recover. Right. No, it, we just uh, celebrated over a hundred years of having nutrition, you know, specialists in the army. Um, so what's interesting though about that, and we're talking a little bit before the podcast is back, you know, then world war one, it was about feeding people more to get them up to weight so they could go and fight. And so they could, they could sustain that, that performance. And, you know, even before we figure that out, Napoleon said, you know, an army marches on its stomach. He knew, he knew. And that's where canning, canning came from Nicholas Appert. Um, but now it's, it's taken a little bit of a turn in that we've got to help soldiers get to that correct body composition. Um, but we also want that protein intake, uh, you know, relatively higher because we want to preserve that lean muscle mass. We don't want to have somebody who's skinny fat, right? They, they make, they make the standard, but then they're not going to do very well under load, right? right? When you put a heavy ruck on them. Right. Um, have you looked at any of the numbers, uh, during world war two that the average, the average weight for a woman, I believe was one 125 pounds. The average weight of a man, I believe was around 145 pounds. The rations were 3,000 calories, around 3,000 calories. Oh, yeah. That's what they were. And the idea of rationing is we're just going to give you this much. The um, the soldiers were given at least, they were rationed at, at least one pound of animal pr- protein beef for recovery. Did, I, I don't know if you've read some of those uh, very old papers, but it was amazing to see that we placed all this importance on the soldier's nutrition. And then at home, they were encouraged to build victory gardens. Yes. Have you read anything I've about read, that? I've read about that. Yep, yeah, yep. victory gardens at home where we would send all the high nutrient-dense foods overseas to, to feed these soldiers. Yes. And, and that's still, you know, something today with, you know, the concern is large-scale combat operations. You might hear a military person say LISCO. So now you know what they're, they're, they're saying is – 
in our past, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, we had control of the air. So we could send resupplies. We could, you know, if anybody was listening to this, was at a dining facility in Iraq, they were unbelievable. Like you were getting lobster. We were getting lobster How over there. How is that possible? Because, you know, we, we had the logistics. Um, and then Afghanistan. Now, some of the, uh, the combat outposts in Afghanistan, a lot more austere food, food not as well, more MRE type foods. But for a large scale combat operation where you might not have that, well, now, now how do we feed them? And then particularly um, where weight becomes an issue because you want to carry ammo, well, are we going to allow the rations and, and combat feedings work on this right now, like a higher fat content to get it more calorically dense? But a, a concern is, well, how do you get fruits and vegetables? And, and that's something that combat feeding is, is looking at. And um, one of the um, things that, uh, you know, has been pitched and thrown out there is kind of, you know, microgreens, or could you have like a, a Connex greenhouse in a box for these warfighters in these austere environments where they could grow something, mm. you know, a little bit like the Martian, you know, and get those nutrients because otherwise we might not be able to get them, um, you know, in, in those supply channels because they'll be in contested areas. And I guess the question is, how important is day-to-day -day nutrition on performance recovery? And now we're moving into, there's the warfighter that you were dealing with that was overweight, getting their body recomposition. Now you're moving towards the more tactical athlete. And I'd love for you to define what a tactical athlete is and why I think this is really good for the general population as well is because they're always searching for what does it mean to be the best version of themselves. And I think that when we look at extremes, we can take extremes and take information of the things that make those individuals that are operating at extremes and move it into our own life. Yes. No, I couldn't agree more. For, for tactical athletes, the simple definition I use is like, if you rely on your body for your work, you're, you're a tactical athlete in a way. <laughs> and that, that might be a loose interpretation. But for the individuals we, we typically consider is obviously the military, police, firefighters, EMS. And I'm so happy that there's now that term and that focus on it. And it was relatively recent, like around 2007, I think the National Strength and Conditioning Association stood up the tactical side. Because what I saw coming in, um, especially from, you know, the experience I had at the University of Georgia with their football team and having colleagues working in the professional athlete setting, you know, they would know, you know, how long a quarterback needs to be back in the pocket before they release before they get sacked, like all these numbers and stats. And then I look at the military, we would do this, we don't have any of that. You know, the, the three to five second rush, we don't even know how fast a soldier should run to maximize them not getting shot. We just say, oh, get up and run for three to five seconds. That's, that's not really definitive on terms of, you know, how many meters, how many, you know. Yeah. And, and so now that there's a focus, we're getting more science. We're getting more scientific uh, uh, towards that. And so that that's where it's really exciting is, is honing in on these these tactical athletes and there is a spectrum in terms of the basic you know uh soldier or warfighter uh or or police officer all the way to a more kind of elite mm -hmm. would be special operations swat etc and so the needs uh you know are, are going to change for both those spectrums when you are identifying and, and kind of building out a plan for the tactical athlete the elite warfighter does mm -hmm. it how is that built is the foundation in hydration nutrition what are some of those numbers? There's a, you know, I will link to all these papers that, um, especially this one, this International Society of Sports Nutrition for the, the stand on the tactical athlete. Uh, how do you think about priorities 
for their nutrition first? I suppose we start with nutrition and then maybe move over to supplementation. Right. Um, so one, and I was given this by a, a great coach and mentor, uh, Martin Rooney, was always like, the best ability is availability, right? So let's focus on a basic nutrition plan that they're getting plenty of fruits, getting plenty of vegetables, there's plenty of good color on their plate so they stay healthy. Because versus, you know, we can talk about performance, but if you get sick and you can't go out on target, you're no good to the team. So I want, I want to stop you for a second. So you were saying fruits and vegetables, this, that they are healthy for you. Yes. Yes, I would yes. agree. They're, yeah. They have fiber and there is a place for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, that could be a whole other as far as when I first started nutrition to now, if I ever thought I would try to, if you told me back then, I would have to try to convince somebody that um, just, you know, not just eating meat all the day is probably not the best idea. It would, it's interesting, it right? It is, right. Because, uh, you know, I always have that experience in terms of in the space, we weren't really talking about the qualities of protein. It was never a big discussion. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a big discussion when you were going through. Is that true? Right. No, it was it was very, uh, it was food god pyramid. I'll date myself. <laughs> food god pyramid, RDA, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, carbs were king. And and carbs are great. I mean, I love carbohydrates, but, but it was very focused on that. Um, you know, creatine would dehydrate you. Uh, creatine might make you more susceptible to heat injury. We now know that it actually can help preserve mm -hmm. it. It doesn't dehydrate you. Uh, too much protein will hurt your kidneys. You know, oh, like yeah. all the, That's you know, all those hard, things. Yeah. And uh, so now I think we've 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 come a long way uh, from that. But but the basic of a healthy diet we want to have because again, if you're more resistant to get sick, you know all those those factors. You have a health gut microbiome. We're definitely going to talk about that. That, yeah. that I believe is the, the next frontier. Right. You know, because uh, one of the things that's still very pervasive in the military is like traveler's diarrhea. And you know what? Uh, I, I did a paper with Dr. Uh, Will Conkright. Uh, we looked at uh, a special operations group in Afghanistan, and they, you know, a lot of them reported traveler's diarrhea. But when we asked them, you know, well, then we asked them, well, how long do you think it affected it, your, your performance? And some said up to 20 days. And then we asked them, how many of you went to see medical attention? Zero. 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 How many of you didn't go out on target because of it? Zero. Zero. Right. So they're in a compromised state going out on target. And for when I say target, you know, these are where the bad guys are. These are where they're doing their job, where, where they could, uh, you know, make contact with the enemy night after night. Um, and they could be in a compromised state. So something as simple as, you know, making sure we maximize the gut microbiome to make you resistant yeah. to that. That's um, definitely in the future. You know, getting fiber, getting all that in, uh, is, is very important. So, so that's, I start off with health. So once we get that in, um, do you have a recommendation that you give the tactical athletes just how many servings? Are they even thinking like that? If they're not eating that, are they having some kind of green or red powder? How do you... Because, I mean, now this yeah. is interesting. This isn't, we're, we're not even talking about macronutrients so right. much. We're talking about the, the phytonutrients. phytonutrients. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's one of the things with, you know, the MREs, they're, they're high in most of the, the, the micronutrients. Like they have a lot, but vitamin K is one of the ones that uh, they're low in. Because there's not a lot of ways to package yeah, those leafy greens, yeah. right? And what is vitamin K important for? Clotting, that can be a very important in a combat situation. So how do we get that in? And so that's where the discussion with the microgreens, again, we've been, you know, uh, I don't want to say lucky, um, but 
in, in terms of in our recent operations, we've been able to get fruits and vegetables, you know, to two locations, probably not as much as some locations as we like, um, but we can still get those there. If they cannot get those there, then that is where I would consider some sort of, uh, you know, green uh, dehydrated product. I use if, one if all the time. Could, yep. If we could get it, you know, because it's convenient. Yeah, convenient. I would much better. Hey, if you could eat a salad, eat a salad. Right. I mean, it's like it's like when people talk to me about, you know, protein powder, or eating a chicken. Well, can't you just eat a chicken? Yeah. Is, is, is <laughs> grilling a chicken always convenient after workout? No. Shakes can be. Yeah. Or if you have three kids or if you have three kids and you're on the run. Yeah, right. No, no, so it's not. So it's it's the same with with this is, um, you know, dehydrated fruits and vegetables, whatever, you know, you can kind of pack in um, getting those in. Um, is a lot of it. And then from there, once I kind of have the overall kind of healthy diet, we start looking at performance optimization. But the the base of, of kind of a performance pyramid is a good diet, sensible training program, sleep is another huge yeah, factor I see with tactile. Yeah, yeah. I know, sleep when you're dead. No, that is that is a huge factor. And once you get all those dialed in, now we can start talking about supplements. But what I've found and the special operations community is very guilty of this and i'll tell this story i was down at third ranger battalion looking at like wall lockers i was walking around can't remember why i was there but there was a wall locker that looked like a gnc store all the supplements all the supplements and there was like a burger king bag in front of it and it's so it's like we we've got to prioritize right. Right? right so get all those right like if if you're not focusing on those focus on those get all those right and then let's talk about dietary supplements. And how dialed in in terms of calculating the the calorie need for a tactical athlete is could be anywhere from, right? They could go through an extra 3,000 calories a day, depending. How do you balance when you're talking to them um, about macronutrients? How, is it about overall volume? Do you say, okay, so 50% is going to be, uh, I don't know, 40% is going to be protein, 40% right. is going to be carbohydrates. Uh, yeah. How do you balance with them in terms of meeting their needs? And what are those needs? How do you even think about that? So great question. Uh, a lot of different variables in terms of what's going on. If they are in a school scenario or a training scenario where the energy expenditure is just going to be through the roof, that just becomes a game of just getting enough calories and keeping that caloric deficit to less than 30% because we find once, once you get like the 30%, the wheels fall, like no matter how much protein you take or whatever, you're, you're going to go catabolic. And for the, for the, the listener at home, the, uh, a school or training, they're training up for deployment, right? They're, they're, they're acquiring a skill or they're practicing, right? They're, they're going. And so those type of scenarios, you know, they can be going, they can be on their feet, you know, 16, 17 hours a day. Which unless you've done that, I mean, that's crazy. You you burn a crazy amount, and you're carrying like fifty anywhere to 120 pounds, depending on um, what's going on. And so the energy expenditure is is through the roof. Um, you know, you know, five thousand to seven thousand calories a day. So that becomes a chore, and particularly when you're talking about you're moving that long to eat. And so yeah. then it, 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 the strategy is just get as many calories as you you can, which which is hard. Um, otherwise, you know. I'm calculating the protein, giving them what that looks like and, and how to get in. And then for most of the tax likely, I'm going 50, depending on what they're doing to, to it could be 60% carbs, depending on um, how uh, much aerobic work they have. Because, you know, the physiological facts, unless someone knows different that's, that's listening, is you get more 
um, ATPs per liter of oxygen from carbohydrates. Right. You can't get around that. And there's been multiple studies that looked at that where, yeah, it'd be great if we could get athletes to run off fat. Like, you know, just, yeah, that was actually a question that, that my husband had. So I'd like to, yeah. you're absolutely correct. So yeah. one of the things was, was he was asking was that he, he said he had thought, you know, asked Nick this. So for <laughs> those of you who don't know, um, my husband just ran the Boston marathon and he, was a SEAL for 10 years. And he said, zone two nutrition for endurance athletes. He said, um, military are supposed to be the most trained in zone two. This was a statement, right. whether he's right or not. And he said that one of his questions was, um, most marathoners prefer a carbohydrate fuel source, but there's a minority of these highly trained athletes who are optimized to do so using fat as a fuel source. One, he wanted to know, is that true? And uh, where is the confusion? Because there's a lot on social media, a lot with the influence space where it has demonized carbohydrates, which I agree with you. I am not anti-carb at all. Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. Let's talk creatine. Creatine is critically important, especially as it relates to brain health, muscle function. It is one of the most well-researched supplements on the market. Creatine has absolutely made a name for itself. You know, it's been proven since the 90s. First Form makes a great micronized creatine monohydrate. You can head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. If you have never tried it, I would seriously consider it. It's easy, five grams a day, whether you are male or female, whether you are postmenopausal, whether you are andropausal, you name it, or if you are just trying to improve explosive power and strength, increase muscle cell volume, this is for you. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. I strongly encourage you to add creatine to your program. Give it a try. See how it works for you. And let's see what we can do. A special thank you from Inside Tracker to you for listening to the show. Inside Tracker is incredible. It's an incredible service. It offers a way in which you can look at up to 47 biomarkers through the blood. It is incredibly comprehensive. There's multiple different plans. People age and have different experiences. This is reflected in blood work. And the only way to figure it out is to measure your blood take a look at it, and pivot if you need to. Inside Tracker is offering you, as a thank you, 20% off. I recently had this done. It was such a good experience. I had Scarlett come and draw my blood. I got my Inside Tracker panel. I was able to look at where I am, where I need to go, and my age, my not chronological age, but my health age. I got a daily action plan. It had guidance on exercise, nutrition, you name it. It was absolutely incredible. If you have not done this yet, I strongly suggest that you do. And for a limited time only, you'll get 20% off the Inside Tracker store. They are frequently adding new biomarkers, which is absolutely incredible. They recently added ApoB. This is critical to understand your risk for heart disease. It is a biomarker that is going to be coming to the forefront more and more as we think about heart health and aging. Don't wait. Head on over to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion. How do we put those pieces together? And you have had a lot of experience dealing with, again, the warfighter and the tactical athlete. I, I realize that tactical athlete falls under a huge umbrella. Right. But the, the most elite that are protecting our world. So you better get it right. No pressure. <sighs> Thanks, Shane. <laughs> so... 
you can fat adapt, right? You can train your body to oxidize more fat. You can get better at it. Uh, Dr. Jeff Volek has shown yeah. this, right? He's one of the, the, the experts in that area. However, going back to my earlier statement about um, ATPs per liter of oxygen, carbohydrates going to be going to give you the most. So if you want to go fast, you have to use carbohydrates. And uh, Dr. Louise Burke out of uh, Australia, I mean, she did a study I, I point a lot of people to with, with race walkers, where she took elite level race walkers and put them on a higher fat diet and looked at their performance uh, versus um, when they were on um, higher carbohydrates. And when they were on the higher fat diet, they were closer to their VO2 max. They had to consume more oxygen to use that, you know, so they fatigued more quickly. They, they were slower, um, you know, and, and to put it in simple terms, Kip Chogi ain't going high fat, <laughs> right? I can tell you when he broke that, that, amazing. you know, marathon, like, amazing. right. He's, he's eating carbohydrates, right. right? The fastest people in the world is eating carbohydrates. I also have friends who, you know, work in the professional athlete space, um, you know, the NFL and, and they're not putting those, those guys on high you know, high fat diet, having run all fats here in game. No, they're giving them carbohydrates. Um, so, so there's, to me, I haven't seen any way to get around that. If you just are, you know, you want to run and you, and you want to avoid carbohydrates and, you know, run off of fat, that's fine. Will you break any world records? Probably not. Um, I agree with you. The, what are some, uh, carbohydrate sources that you recommend? Um, it depends on the situation. So, if, you know, just eating, right, normal diet throughout the day, I want some more uh, carbohydrate, uh, more complex, obviously, carbohydrates. I want some fiber in there, you know, those sort of things. When we get closer to a competition or an event, I want it to be simple. Obviously, when it's during the event, I want it to be as simple as possible. I mean, that's why with some of these ultra uh, runners, you'll see them drink flat Coke, right, during a, right. an ultra, you know, when we're talking beyond a marathon, people are... I don't understand a masochist who do those, but I've, I had a, a I few agree. buddies who, yeah, <laughs> who've done those. And so at that point, again, it's, it's getting those simple carbohydrates in now throughout the day, should the average person be eating a bunch of simple carbohydrates? No, that's, that's going to lead down a bad road. Right. Um, but for the most part, I want uh, whole grains, you know, with some fiber um, in there throughout the day. Now, whether that's, you know, brown rice, whether that's whole wheat bread, whether that's, um, you know, some sort of uh, pasta, quinoa, bulgur, you know, um, it's going to depend on, on what you like. I, I like a variety of it all. You know, sometimes I like to eat a little pasta, you know, and I, I like I like pizza. That's my, you know, one of my really, really a really good pizza, not like a fast <laughs> food pizza, but like one of the places with like the uh, wood fired oven type places. I'll, I'll do that on occasion. So, yeah, it just depends on, on what you like, because, again, we're, we're humans, right? And uh, I really liked, uh, you know, what you and, and, and Dr. Bill Campbell, you know, were talking about as far as with like the diet breaks throughout in terms of, yeah, it's, it's really hard. If I can structure you a meal plan, it's really easy to structure somebody a meal plan to lose weight. It's really easy, yeah. right, to do it, to follow it and to have <laughs> compliance and to do it. They yeah. have, psychologically, yes. that's the challenge. And so I think we, we got to be reality based. And, and like he said, he ain't giving up his chocolate chip I cookies. So I can tell you, I'm not giving up my pizza. So, <laughs> you guys know, are so fun when I come yeah. to my house. Um, when you think about mixing a meal, do you is do you talk to your athletes about ratios? Do you want them to have carbohydrates? So let's say they're not in a active situation. They're not running a marathon right. at the moment, but they're at home on a weekend. Do you teach them about how they would structure the meals? Is Do you recommend 
uh, a solo macronutrient, for example, I don't know, snacking on a bowl of pasta, or do you recommend mixing it? I, I like mixing it. I, 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 yeah, I try to avoid, I wouldn't recommend, uh, again, if, if you're sedentary, just snacking on carbohydrate because you're not getting satiety out of it, right? You're not getting a lot of bang, bang for your buck in terms of those calories. Um, so I might replace that with something like almonds um, in terms of now you got some protein, now you got some fat, you're going to get some satiety out of that. Whereas we've all probably been guilty of it. I know I have. You get some chips in front of you. Speak next thing you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the, the bag. Totally you know, kidding. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, 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 the bag disappears and you're like, what happened? Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, so I want uh, some protein and some good fat um, spread throughout in, in all those, those kind of uh, snacks. And then also just getting the protein to maximize protein synthesis if, if we're trying to really promote that that muscle uh either preservation or, or gaining muscle mass for a lot of people and especially is the warfighter ages yes <laughs> it's interesting when we think about it the aging warfighter i would say that their trajectory for aging is faster i mean oh yeah just because of the amount of load and exposure that they're that they have on uh just over a lifetime and uh, so that's interesting to see the the warfighter now, if you were to pick, would it be sleep or supplementation? We cover nutrition. Mm -hmm. We think about a well-designed training program. Is it sleep or supplementation? It's an easy, easy choice for me. And I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Allison Brager, great neuroscientist, sleep. I'm going to pick sleep. And that's me as a dietitian yeah. because sleep drives so many of your decisions. And, I, you know, I'll tell a story real quick. Um, when I was at regiment, I had a ranger brought to me and he was falling out of runs. He was, he was having all that. And his, his uh, team leader brought him to me and was like, we need to do something with this nutrition. As I was talking to him, he wasn't sleeping. He was staying up in the barracks because sleep was a crush, right? So I, I told him. What was him, he doing? Was he playing Xbox or? Yeah, all, the, mean, all <laughs> the things, right? All, all, the, all the different things. Did he have sleep apnea? He did not have sleep apnea. He, he, was not, he, wasn't, he wasn't like, uh, you know, what we'd call like over fat or anything. He just... He, he just wasn't getting sleep. And so I was like, look, we're not even going to talk about nutrition. But they thought it was a nutrition issue because he was, you know, kind of fell on these uh, physical events. They thought, oh, maybe he's not eating right. I said, I don't even want to talk to you about nutrition. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and get seven hours a night, per, like this next week. Like, do it, you know, Roger that, sir, you know, whatever. And uh, he comes back to me and he's like, I feel amazing. This is great. I'm, da -da -da. I'm eating better. I'm eating because, you know, he was making all these poor, you know, he's staying up late. Right. So then he's eating this stuff out of a vending machine, all these factors. Um, so yeah, I mean, sleep's big. If, if you're not sleeping, you know, don't talk to me about creatine unless you're in a situation where you don't have a choice. And that's a different, that's a different a season. Animal. If you have a five month old or right. Or, and now, now I'm talking to you about uh, creatine to maybe improve your cognitive benefits while you're sleep deprived. We're talking about caffeine. So, you know, you don't leave your toddler somewhere and forget, you know, like get in your car and drive off terrible. like, ah, oh, you know. So, so yeah. So, so we can talk about supplements to maximize your performance as much as you can when you're sleep deprived. That's a, That's a different topic. Um, but if you're, but if it's a self-inflicted wound, they need to address that first. Okay. Sleep. And you recommend seven to eight hours? Yes. More? Depending on what you're doing, um, it, it could be more. I think LeBron James sleeps like like 11, 12 at the height of the season. Um, uh, I, I know when I, on a deployment to Afghanistan, I was working in a, the operations center. So I was basically doing a job behind a screen where I tracked things, right? And I was sleeping probably like 10 hours a night because I, I just like work out and sleep. 
and I, I mean, I felt like I was on, not that I've ever been on, but like, if, if you told me like what a performance enhancing drug would feel like, I thought I was on a performance. I mean, I'd go to the gym. I was, ama- you know, it was, it was amazing. Um, so for some athletes, I mean, if you're really hitting it hard, I think, yeah, you probably need some more sleep. You know, I'm just sleep until you wake up. If you don't have to set an alarm, I track mine. You know, I've got, as you can see, different tracking devices. I see your on whoop on there. We love whoop. Yeah, I've, I've got my my whoop. I just started using that. I, I track with with Aura. I've, you know, um, so I, I track it. And then I work with a few folks on the outside, like athletes, one professional athlete in particular. And I every day when I get up, I'm looking at his sleep data, mm-hmm. being like, hey, what happened? You know, because it's, it's that important. What about supplementation? Uh, I personally supplement. Um, as a dietitian, I get asked, like, what do you use? I'm sure so I'll every, jump to that. everybody wants everybody to know. Has that. I, I like, I take vitamin D. The reason I take vitamin D is we have vitamin D receptors in our muscle. We have vitamin D receptors in our brain. And if you look a lot of the literature, most of us are maybe not, you know, deficient to get rickets, but we're insufficient. Um, where do you and, like to see vitamin D numbers in the blood? Uh, at least, at, you know, uh, uh, 50 to around 80 nanograms per deciliter. Totally agree with that. Yep. Um, and so I, I take, uh, you know, 2000 IUs, uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. 2000, sometimes to 5,000. This isn't medical advice. No, I'm no, just, no, I'm no. throwing out what I'm, Every, I'm doing. I know 800 IUs is yeah. the, you know, we recommend in, in the practice, we recommend between two to five. Yeah. If someone is deficient, we go higher. Just right. Depends. Right. And yeah. I've, I've seen some papers, they went up to like 50,000 mm-hmm. IUs. I mean, it's, it, it and there's even some arguments that if you have enough vitamin K on board, if you're taking them, uh, you know, concurrently, it would be hard to OD. I'm not throwing that out as a challenge, right. but um, so yeah, I, I take vitamin D um, in that range. I take omega three fatty acids for the uh, eicosapentaenoic acid, docahexaenoic acid um, for you know one for for muscle, um, which uh, Dr. Jeffrey Howlson's done a lot of great papers on. But then for uh, a guy, Dr. Mike Lewis. Um, it's done a lot of stuff with, with brain health. And he, he kind of turned me onto that with his work with, uh, you know, Dr. Julian Bales of the concussion fame. Um, and how many, how many grams of, uh, I'm, I'm taking, uh, 3000 to maybe some days, you know, 5,000 milligrams per day. Most studies, you see a benefit at two grams per day. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Oliver, he's a, he's a friend. He did a study out of, uh, Texas Christian university where they followed football players throughout mm-hmm. the season and they, uh, had lower, uh, top proteins than those that took the two grams per day. Um, cause you, as, as you know, it's really hard to do a control brain injury study, and, yeah. you know, you, yeah. but, but the animal models, it's quite compelling. So, so I'm taking a high quality omega-3 supplement, keeping it in my refrigerator. You know, I tell everybody, you know, uh, it's a, don't it's, take your rancid. Yeah. Don't take your rancid omega-3s. Um, I'm taking creatine monohydrate, uh, five grams, five grams. I'm taking five grams. I think the, the international society of sports nutrition, 0.3 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, I think around there, but five grams for most people's. Yeah. Uh, probably in there. No loading dose. No, no loading dose. If somebody had a task that was coming up and they weren't on creatine and they wanted to get to that level, um, then maybe a loading dose seems beneficial. Um, but yeah, you're going to reach saturation within 30 days. It's kind of from what what I've seen. Um, I take that, uh, I take magnesium. Any particular Uh, form? Uh, I just got the, I I had been taking the biglycinate. Now I'm on the, 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 is it the Thea or the three and eight? Three and eight. Three and eight. Three and eight. Yeah, I'm on the three and eight because um, I, I I've read it's more uh, absorbed throughout the brain to pass the yep. blood blood brain barrier. 
Um, collagen. I take a little uh, collagen, and that's just you know not not so much for my great skin, yeah. but uh, for 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 joints. From based on the uh, research with uh, Dr. Keith Barr, like if I can take uh, you know ten grams before with uh, forty eight to fifty milligrams of vitamin C to to help. Um, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, you think I would I would know? No, that's I pretty mean, much that, it. That's I think pretty I, robust. Yeah, I think I've hit it. I've I've used beta alanine before as well. Uh, if I have a hard like anaerobic, you know, training like uh, coming up, um, I, I don't use it regularly. Yeah, but, but that that might be something. You um, know, you know what I think is going to be the the next big thing. Which just as big as um, fish oil is urolithin A. Have you heard of urolithin A? Uh, no, I'm I will not. send you some literature. Okay. Twenty years of research. Urolithin A helps with mitophagy. 500 milligrams uh, a day. I, Shane uses a thousand. Oh, wow. I use it. It's I've, I, I've never seen a compound be this promising since, I don't know, fish oil. Wow. Since omega-3 fatty acids. All right. Yeah. Well, I have to get on that. Yeah. And then I think that there's something new, uh, urosolic acid. I haven't, it's, it's a compound in apple peels. I haven't taken it a real deep dive, but I think that there's a lot of promise to that with um, body fat, weight, somewhat of weight reduction. I think it's a, a TBK1 inhibitor or something like that. But uh, I'll, I'll let you know back on the urosolic acid, but this urolithin A is- Urolithin A, I'm yeah, gonna have to. I'll, I'll send you some literature yeah. on it. It's pretty amazing. Are you doing anything? I, I've also taken uh, nicotamidine riboside. So have you done NAD. any of the NAD? I haven't. Take, okay. Um, I haven't because I, I just don't know about the half-life and, and the yeah. utilization of the half-life and the, the, whether it's the oral absorption is adequate. Um, what about glutathione? Do you ever use glutathione? I've taken it. Um, I, I don't take it religiously mm. currently. And that, and that might be just because of the chaos in my life right now. <laughs> I don't know what if do you I mean? know you feel. Um, um, but I, I'm getting more... I, I'm shifting, especially at, you know, so I'm 43 now. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I made it. Uh, <laughs> but it is funny because when I first started, you know, nutrition supplementation was all like bigger, faster, stronger, bigger, faster, stronger. That's all I cared about, right? What would make you bigger, faster, stronger? And now I'm like, oh, I got my, you know, my youngest, I'm going to be 60 when he graduates high school. I need to be yeah. healthy. I need So now I'm starting. So I'm just now kind of getting into looking at like the NAD, the, the glutathione, the kind of the, the longevity yeah, side the of the longevity sides. Yeah, I would say urolithin A, of course, methylene blue. And, and then there's a couple nootropic type uh, supplements that I think are amazing. Or I don't want to even say supplements, compounds. I want to switch gears to something that's really been on my mind. And this is the gut muscle access. I don't know if you've thought much about it. I I did a very interesting interview with this guy named Dr. Gregory Lutz, and he was. Have you heard of him? I listened to it on the way down here, How driving from San Antonio. I was blown, blown away. Microbiome in, in the, the disc. In the disc. No. It made me think. I mean, yeah. You know, we see a lot of these young guys uh, coming in with injuries that don't recover, or you know, seem to get worse. And it made me think about. You know, I was listening to some of your lectures. You you. I'll link it. You just did a, you do a great job speaking. Phenomenal. And one of the things that you bring up that I think the operators, the military misses quite a bit is this gut health issue. And I think it's a, it's a, a blind spot because we don't have great ways of testing it. Right. Using PCR testing misses, gosh, it's got to miss at least 50%. 
we see guys in the practice that have recently transitioned out and what we take care of um, special operators, uh, recently retired, and their family members. And what we almost always see or what we hear is that a guy comes back from deployment, he's fine. His wife all of a sudden gets some kind of major GI issue that looks like traveler's diarrhea or something of the sort, right? Um, and we treat her, treat him, everybody gets better. And we just don't have great ways of testing. Right now, you know, we used to use infectious disease individuals that were doing stool samples, looking at under the microscope. There is something there. And then we see guys that, you know, from one platoon come home and they're all, you know, two years later, they all have their gallbladder out. And it's not an environment. I mean, right. I, it's not per se the environmental exposure that you would think from uh, any kind of chemical, but it's these bugs. Yeah. I, I don't know where the army is going or where the dietetics lane is going. Um, are you guys making an effort? Is there a capacity availability to look more at this gut health situation? Yes. And, and there's one individual I'm going to say his name that I, that I got me interested in all of this is Dr. Phil Carl. He's at the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine. And this is what he studies. He studies the, the gut microbiome. Um, and so, you know, deals with a lot of poop, <laughs> you know, which, you poor know, guy. He's a poor guy, Gross. right? Um, so, you know, and I, I usually always have him talk to my students. So, so the army is trying to figure out ways to make folks more resilient to, to that. Um, to your point, I did a stool sample test, uh, it might've been about a year ago now. And it was, it was interesting because one of the questions before I sent in my sample was talking about antibiotic use and like how many times and I really haven't had a lot of infections in my life so I was like oh I, I, I don't I'm good I'm good yeah but then when I got my sample back I think it was beta diversity there were some things that were flagged because it looked like I'd used antibiotics a lot and then it hit me I was like oh my entire time in Afghanistan the anti-malarial I'm taking yes. doxy and so I think there's something there with that as well is not just the environment that we're in and some of the gut the the microbes you might get exposed to but the anti-malarial of choice is doxy, you know, cycling. So all of these war fighters, if you're anywhere where malaria might be, you're taking that the entire yeah. time. Yeah. And and there's no protocol that we have to try to, you know, eat yogurt and kefir and eat all those. And a lot of those locations, you don't even have that. So I, I think there could be something there as far as the chronic use of antibiotics throughout the military. And then you come back and now we, we have all those, these folks with these gut issues. Yeah, it, I think that, that's where I'm hoping things will move because, again, just with this conversation of spine in the micro, uh, you know, the microbiome in the spine, yes. makes me think well, there probably is the same thing in muscle, yeah, and the same thing in fascial tissue. Now, I want to tell you how I first heard about you, and this is a shout out to our mutual friend, Dr. Andy Galpin. Wow. And I reached out to Andy because I was having guys come into the practice that were trying to screen up or go through buds. Mm. And uh, this selection process, buds, yep. and I wanted to know, you know, what do we do for hydration? How does that work? And so he said, well, you got to talk to my buddy, Nick. He knows this is his wheelhouse. How important is hydration when it comes to performance? And for the guys out there listening who are potentially thinking about trying to get through buds or trying to get yes. through ranger school or ranger school, I guess it's ranger selection. Not yeah, school. yeah. And ranger school as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, not to overstate it, but I mean, it's, it's everything right in the moment, because when we talk about, you know, you're, you're dehydrated, 
Uh, we know that can affect your fine uh, motor skills. So now marksmanship, those things can be off. Decision-making processes can be off. Uh, you know, you affect your blood volume. Now your heart's got to work harder. You're at a higher heart rate than you normally would be. So maybe you fall out of that run or you don't make that ruck you would normally make uh, during train up. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum is now if you become a heat casualty, that can take you out of training, you know, go into rhabdo, uh, you know, do permanent damage um, to, your, to your health and to your systems. So being on top of hydration is extremely important particularly in those selection environments, particularly where we were doing selection in Ranger Regiments, Fort Benning, Georgia. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's really hot. It's really humid. No, I've just been to Texas and I'll tell you what. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's it's up there. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about what I did. Yeah. Right there. yeah I'm so, I'm so curious because people always talk yeah. about hydration and how much water should I drink? Doesn't matter. Should we be replacing electrolytes? Should we be replacing other things? Is straight water adequate? Yeah. So for, you know, for, for us, for most of us, you know, just hanging out today or whatever, straight water is ad adequate. You didn't know that we were doing a, uh, we get to the park with the kids. That, that might change. I might, <laughs> I might need some ele electrolytes then. Um, but I, I dealt with this problem when I got to Ranger Regiment. One, actually the first kind of problem sets as a dietitian I got to deal with was for their, uh, it was, it was at the time the Ranger, uh, uh, indoctrination program or RIP, which now RASP one. So if you are a E5 or below is what everybody's coming into. The vast majority of Rangers are coming through that program and the culminating 12 mile, uh, road March, they had a lot of heat injuries. And so the commander came to me, all right, dietitian, do your dietitian thing, <laughs> you know, figure this out. So I, I looked at the situation and the first thing I noticed was it was on a Monday. So they're coming out of the weekend. Oh. So that was that was one. And then the other piece of it, I was like, well, let me see how I want to track hydration. And I, and I called a, a good friend and colleague. Her, her name's Karen Daigle. She was at the Olympic Training Center at the time. And they used a refractometer. Because, again, this is 07. And people might be using it more. But a lot of people aren't using a refractometer's uh, handheld to, to look at urine-specific gravity. So she kind of gave me a protocol. And the, what is that for the people listening? Uh, so it's, it's a little – handheld device it looks like a um like a scope almost and you put a drop of urine on it and then based on the the light passing through it'll it'll give you know how much solute uh is in the liquid and then based on you know how much solute that's that's your hydration status and is that something that people could order online oh yeah yeah they're like yeah, probably like 60 70 bucks okay um and so I, I ordered that, not knowing that was going to require me to test a lot of Ranger urine. Yeah, I was urine. just thinking. Yeah, you know, I realized that that now it was, it was, be, a, that was a bad choice. I, so I got some medics um, <laughs> and I, I talked, you know, and then I looked at the, the literature on rehydration. So if you're dehydrated, how long does it take? And we kind of laid on, you know, around like 48 hours, like to give them 48 hours. So I talked to the commander and I got him to agree. I said, hey, I'm going to test these guys on Friday. And I'm going to pull out the people who are below this certain level. I'm going to tell them all, hey, I'm going to retest you. You know, this is what you need to do to get hydrated to adequate level. And then, oh, by the way, on Monday, if I test you and you fall below this level, you can't do the 12-mile ruck march, which means you can't be in Ranger Regiment. Oh, hurt. And everybody passed. So that was – and that was it. That was it. It was passed. Yeah, every, yeah, there was a lot. Of, and, and it was like 60% of them were dehydrated on Friday. Um, but then showed out. And then the other piece was talk to them about alcohol you know, all over the weekend and all those things to be like, Hey, look, look, gentlemen, um, you can celebrate 
after you pass this event. Yeah, let's not yeah, sell yeah. it this weekend. Let's let's hydrate. What do you what do you give them? Sodium, potassium, what kind of hydration solution were you using? Nothing magical in terms of it's whatever we could get through uh, class eight, which is the medical supply. So you get rehydration beverages in the, the military. We can get them through class eight, which is medical. Um, so I won't name the sp yeah. specific products, but it was like there was a rice based um, oral rehydration beverage. Um, there were some other uh, oral rehydration beverages. And I mean, it just, you know, some sodium, some carbohydrates, some potassium. Um, nothing fancy. And people ask me like, well, what's your go-to of choice? I'm like, whatever one you like to drink, mm. right? Because there there was a military and it was literally oral rehydration salts or whatever. It was horrible. horrible Nobody sure. wanted I'm to sure. use it. It was a, <laughs> So again, it wasn't beneficial. Yeah, if you drank it, it gave you all the right stuff, yeah. but it didn't taste, you know, right. good. So so what we did is we gave them stuff that, that had some flavor to it. And um, they, they drank that throughout. Because uh, you do also have to worry about in the military hyponatremia. We've had a few cases of, of hyponatremia. There was a case, I think it was around 2017 in Ranger School. Mm -hmm. They had a, 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 a Ranger pass. And, and then they have since, they got an ice stat where they can do blood sodium like on the spot. Basically, he drank too much, too much plain water. water. Plain, plain water. water. Be because you essentially want to rehydrate with what you're sweating out. Which yes. Not, which you're not sweating out water. You're sweating out sodium, sodium. and all, all kinds of things. That, that's really helpful. Where do you think that, um, okay, so before I ask this question, mm. <laughs> I, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this question. Do you think that um, there are ways in which we can prep people to pass selection? How do we tell, do we have more capacity to look at who is going to get through selection? I know we were kind of talking about biomarkers. Uh, it's so interesting. Uh, you you mentioned a little bit about global strength. Do you have any thoughts personally on, uh, does it help if we identify early the people that are gonna get through or perhaps weaknesses where we can help them up or maybe is that not the point? Is it really just whoever is toughest and most capable gets through? And I know this is kind of a hard question because you know, from uh, some of the guys' perspectives, they're like, well, if they can't hang, we don't want them next right. to us during war. So they, they shouldn't get the help, right? I know this is a, a tough question because, you know, from some of the, the SEAL guys that I take care of, they're like, well, you know, if he can't do it, eating potato chips and whatever, then he shouldn't be, and I don't want him next to me. I mean, they don't say that exactly, but you know what I mean. Right. And it's tough because I'm scared if we keep going down that road, there might not be anybody next to him, right? That's a really good point. Because, you know, not all, and I, and I think it's getting better. The way I see some selection programs is much like the old Soviet model for athletes is you throw them against the wall, whichever ones don't break, those are your Olympians. That works if you have a, a very huge group. That's a very good point. Right? That, you know, everybody wants to be Olympians to get out of poverty or whatever. You know, you can throw China in the same, same scenario. That's a very good point. Um, but we're not going to have that luxury very soon. So we need to be smart about it. So if we have an individual who is fit, strong, intelligent, tough, but gets uh, shin splints and falls out because you're running them 20 miles a day, even though you'll never do that operationally, right? Some of those, like some of the stuff you do in selection that aren't operationally relevant. Yeah. It shows mental toughness. You can say it, but like, if you're breaking them, yeah. then why not do it? We could have that person in the fight. 
So for me, I, I think we should approach it a little more intelligent. Not again, not uh, saying you know trying to besmirch any assessment selection not. process. I don't. I don't need those folks mad no, at me. I don't need that. that not that, what we're saying. Know, yeah, yeah. I don't need that smoke no. in my life. Um, but uh, it's not what we're saying. Everybody. Yeah, it's it's so so. And then back to the question about biomarkers and things to that might make people more likely to pass. I would never want to screen out individuals ahead of time based on a cheek swab, right? What I think we could do is take those and then figure out how we can close the gap. One, how we can close the gap in individuals as they're coming through the program, but then let's look out to the broader army. Can we close the gap and get them closer to special operations? That'd be incredible. And, and so that's, that's the way why I'm interested in this research and all these different things. Like I said, there's a researcher, Dr. Emily Farina, who's done a series of papers. And then there was just a paper. Um, the lead author was actually Dr. Jesse Stein on this most recent paper I, I was reading where they're looking at biomarkers. But it's it's looking at people in the Special Forces Assessment and Selection Program who passed or didn't pass. And they found that, hey, those that are more fit, more likely to pass. Those that eat a healthier diet, they did uh, diet quality, um, healthy a, eating index. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, more likely to pass. And now the, the biomarkers of those that eat, you know, more fruits, more vegetables tend to show that those are going to be the ones that uh, are going to pass. The what selection. are the biomarkers? Um, so some of the markers in the blood that, uh, do you want the specifics or the yeah, ones that are down? Number, no, no, Let you me don't see. have to like, oh, I got to look at the different ones. Was it, yeah, like a C, was it HSCRP or? Oh, uh, we'll take a look. Yeah, yeah, we, we can look. No, it wasn't just uh, that. These were... Um, uh, metabolites okay, from from cool. the things that they they had very cool uh, consumed. Um, yeah, it, it was a really nice pair. I think they look like 130 metabolites. Mm. But Dr. Jesse Stein and we can link the yeah, paper. Yeah, just, we'll just, link it. Yeah, I think it came out in April. We'll, um, we'll get that person on the show. Yeah, yeah. Put on a good word. Put in a good word for me. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Emily would be the one. She's the one that kind of oversaw that, and and you know her. She's similar situation to you. Her husband uh, comes from that environment. Um, and so, you know, she's really done a lot of research there and it's, it's just great, um, in terms of, you know, looking at these special operators because it costs a lot of money to make a special operator. Don't you dare tell those guys. I know. Like I make like, a girl's bad They're like, I'm national hero. You know, it, it takes a lot <laughs> yeah, of money. It takes a lot of money, a and, lot of investment. And, and guess what? If you lose them in the pipeline, yeah. that's still a lot of cost. Yeah. And, and so any way we can do that just from a cost benefit analysis, not even the human side of it. Is good. I love what you're saying. It's not necessarily about making, I mean, it is about making individuals who are capable even more elite, but also what you're saying is how do we make those that show great potential Yes. and bring up those who have great potential, which I think there are so many other people that have that. I, I think that's, that shows a lot of wisdom. Non-rookie over here, Dr. Nick, non-rookie. It, it took a while. So it took a, a lot while. of wisdom. And um, it's interesting, the information that you're sharing with us is information that can be uh, taken and implemented into the life of the person who's non-military. Yes. Who wants to get the best out of their life, the best out of their athletic performance. And we use a lot of uh, biomarkers when it comes to nutrient metabolism. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how those those line up to what Emily is right. using and and how do we close the gap to make people even more exceptional because we need everybody yes the the more amazing humans that we have the more capable strong humans we have the better we're all going to be yeah not not everybody can just you know come off the couch and run a marathon 
right? So, yeah. so, so, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's, so you need some of those folks that might struggle to do that, but again, they're, they're mentally resilient. They have all those factors. And, and so how can we get them to a physical capacity that they could pass those assessments? Like? I, I love that. And where are you now to tie up this episode, which I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for you to spend time. And I'm hoping that you'll come back. Hopefully oh, uh, yes. you will come back to talk more about training and some of the other areas of your wide expertise. Where are you now? Mm-hmm. Where are you going? I am. The second part is going to be difficult. I am, I am at the Army Baylor Master's Program in Nutrition where again, we, we produce the dietitians coming into the army. If you are a student listening to this, or you are a soldier or were a soldier, um, and you're passionate about, uh, nutrition and helping people, uh, go look, I can't think of our website, but if you Google army Baylor, uh, we'll uh, link that we'll we link it. it. Uh, you, you can look and, and, you know, come it's, it's two years and you get your d- degree from Baylor. It's a pretty good deal. I might be biased, <laughs> but, but that's where I'm currently, uh, Within the next year, so in 2024, summer 2024, I will retire from the military and uh, to be determined. That, Are that's, you ready? That's it. Are you ready? It's it's going to be weird, um, you know, not waking up and shaving, you know, all the like the it's I think it's the little things. I don't know, you know, for your husband, how, how it was um, that'll it'll probably be a little weird, like actually having to like dress myself like for oh. this podcast. Oh, like man. I was like, oh, wait, I got to I, <laughs> I got a you know, shirt. And, you know, does the belt have to match the shoes? I don't know. So I, I'll work through those. Um, I've loved serving in the military, but I'm excited to do something outside of it. Very excited to, to look at the different opportunities and then to take you know, what I've learned in the military and apply it um, in the civilian sector to, to hopefully help more people. Well, the world needs you. Uh, and I'm hoping that, that you will have a lot more opportunity to speak and <laughs> you will you. come back here. And thank you so much for everything that you've done for our country and for the soldiers. Thank oh, so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice, and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.